0: Opinions voiced in Investing Simplified with Bo Caldwell are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investors cannot invest directly in indexes. The performance of any index is not indicative of the performance of any investment and does not take into account the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. Guests on Investing Simplified are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor.
1: We do investing
2: simplified.
1: Welcome into Investing Simplified. However you're listening today, thank you for making us a part of your day. In Studio with me today is Matt Sudol. Here, our planning—you know, planning guru, our planning extraordinaire—here with uh, with myself, Bo Caldwell, CEO. Matt May's going to join us a little bit later, and actually, we're—I'm a little nervous, Matt. Because we're taking over. You guys show. are going. Yeah, I'm going to have to step out here Matt after squared our square over our first segment, and it's it, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, hopefully, we don't burn the studio down. Hopefully, everything is still standing. I think it'll be end. okay.
3: We've got some um, pretty nice, uh, interesting information. I think that's more. Tailored to a investment officer speaking to it, you know, sure. so that might be might be good. Um, I hope everyone enjoys it. All
1: right. Well, and we did have some questions come in um, over the last, you know, couple of weeks. We wanted to cover a little bit of those. I, I wanted to talk a little bit as well, um, you know, about the idea being, you know, what's going on in the markets, volatility. Uh, you know, I don't know what you guys have planned on the docket for later, but I wanted to talk a little bit about some things that I've been seeing over the last couple of weeks, um, just as the markets have sold off and risen higher and sold off and we've talked over and over again about not benchmarking yourself just against what the overall market is or the S&P 500 is doing right Right, because it changes every day but I think it's really important to also talk about because I get a good amount of questions that have come in from folks who are asking okay well you know as we're looking at you know as we're looking at the markets as we're looking at trading as stimulus checks you know start to coming actually hit in, bank you know. accounts right people coming in there are so many millions of brokerage accounts that were opened over 2020, right? You know, as the stay at home trade and people started to become day traders and think they knew what they were doing. But really, what they think is that they know more than the overall market, right? And the hard part about that is what happens, you know, intraday, what happens at the end of the week, what happens with what's called quad witching, all these different things where people don't understand. The internal workings of the markets, and so I'm not poo pooing on buying individual stocks by any means. I'm not poo pooing on managing, you know, yourself if you can manage that roller coaster. But the the key is you got to find the roller coaster that works for you and stick with it, right? And you got to find a roller coaster you can stay on. Yeah, and that's uh, kind of what we're uh, planning on talking about today. Is uh, we've
3: we've talked about different things to do and not to do, and and today um, later on uh, we bring to you five reasons why. You know, you shouldn't sell. Uh, okay. Panic sell, really. I like it. Yeah, uh, well,
1: panic sell happens, right? Because just, just out, you know, a little over a week ago, um, you know, folks have probably seen this if they watch any sort of financial television. And I don't know mm-hmm. if you're aware of this, Matt, but there was a large hedge fund um, that actually was forced liquidated, uh, you know, was uh, Friday the, what would that have been? Friday that the... the 26th, Does that sound right. Yeah, so Friday the 26th of March, there was a, f- a hedge fund that was forced liquidated with a margin call, and it caused crazy gyrations in the market. The market right? volatility causes market yeah. volatility. You have news where this vaccine's working, that vaccine's not, or this vaccine is working, and you know, you have these different news driven cycles that come out in these ups and downs. The market moves, and if you're out there trying to play the market by yourself and be smarter, and you think and, I, and again, not poo-pooing you know amounts of money, but these folks that are playing with their fourteen hundred dollars stimulus, stimulus check and going up against billion dollar hedge funds, right? Right, you're not going to move the market the way that you think you are. Right. Exactly. So.
3: So we'll talk about reasons to not sell and then Matt actually does uh, plan on touching on maybe some reasons where you could you know look at selling but oh, sure it all has to do with- well, because it all know, makes sense yeah. right n- yeah, that, sometimes not hold on forever yeah yeah so not one way or the other it's just figuring out why uh, what makes you know a good reason for sale or for you know for purchase we talked about that too before and uh, again not following the overall market excitement one way or the mm-hmm, other because mm-hmm. like you said yeah, you have a ten thousand dollar investment, you know, stacked up against somebody that's got billions of dollars. Right. Um, <laughs> you're likely not going to move the market very much. You know, you think, hey, if I buy the X- ten shares of X company, that'll really help them. Well, it's good and you're investing, but you're not going to move the market. Um, so right. I think in general, I, I, retail investors have some moving powers but really not as much as you know the institutionals uh they obviously think about how many of us it takes
1: to get you know if we banded all of our money together all the people that are listening all you know we still don't add up to right i
3: mean the prime example was you know some of the things that were going on on reddit and stuff you know some of them actually did move but it was individual securities but and and it you know and it was wasn't
1: and how much of it was those individuals actually and how long did it actually hold up before it fell right back down and,
3: and apart so you know it's important to keep that to keep that um Keep that in mind. So,
1: yeah, well, it's kind of like you know analyzing what what you're you know the, the phrase that I use is you can't see the forest for the trees, right? You focus so much on individual stocks, and you can do well. You can do really well just you know having an allocation model with indexes, right? There We have lots of clients that that's what they do, and they allocate, and you know as long as you built it out. Where it comes into play is if you're planning on retirement, if this is your long-term money then trying to time you know, in and out of the market is just not going to be effective. I had a conversation this weekend with a client who is actively contributing to his TSP plan, right? And so he's wondering, "Well, with the market, should I should I stop? Should I move it to the G fund? You know, should I do this, you know, go into yeah. the and I said, you know, I, for his situation, I said, "No. You, you actually you you should be rooting for the market sell-off, right? If you're yeah, saving money right now on your 401k or a TSP, 403b where they're matching it, right? Sell offs in the market are like candy. That's that's great. You're buying like a on discount. sale. Right. Yeah. You're buying a discount. And if you're looking at it from a long term time frame, right? The other thing, and just it just behooves you to look at, you know, historically, and take this for what it's worth, folks. This is my crystal ball prediction for the year, right? Historically, I think we've turned a corner in terms of the market and it's gonna continue rallying up for the next couple months. But I think quarter three might be a rough go. In terms of the overall markets, because historically, the year after a presidential election, that is what happens, right? Historically. Now, that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it'll actually happen, but the key is you want to be prepared for it, right? Because you should have some dry powder on the sidelines if you think that it's going to rally forward after it comes back, right? So the key is having a plan, and I like to say here's my crystal ball prediction. Take it for what it's worth, right? But we're preparing – if that happens or if it doesn't if the market continues to rocket higher or if the market takes a giant dive we have a pre- we've prepared for that we've planned for that we have our clients built out in plans and their retirement plans so that way it doesn't matter day in day out what the market's doing because you're going to drive yourself insane right yeah
3: looking at it every day every checking day, the news what's it, you know, what's there's always on? something
1: going on i mean yeah where we
3: were just talking uh you know and there was a ship stuck in a canal right i mean yeah yeah <laughs> crazy things happen you know uh and so when 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 day to day does it really matter with what's, what's happening today you know 10 years from now i mean it could be a big event but usually right um time passes and so if you have an all-weather portfolio and i know you like to say say that and yeah. i've stolen your phrase here but it's true you know uh, you're not trying to bet on things going really well and just you know capturing 100% of the upside you're okay with the okay return that matches up with your expectations but right. also you know fulfills your goals of your plan but then on the flip side if the market goes the opposite way you're uh, in a way protecting cover covering your base is a little bit better so that way you're not falling like you know as they say you know catch a fallen knife you falling like you're just straight from the sky and you just know where to stop you know you've got those bands where your portfolio will move up and down as long as you're within your uh, you know, your, your band over time, you'll be okay. Right. I think that's where people get hurt is they, they, uh, they set up a, you know, some sort of a trajectory for themselves and then they get, oh man, this is going to happen. So I should buy this guy, you know, into this and then run it may run up for a minute and then they don't get out in time mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. the opposite, maybe some events spooking a person and you are like, oh man, you know, this is going to be the next 10 years is going to get erased and <laughs> there's going to be something crazy that's going to happen. I should just go out all cash. Right. In both instances, those are, you know, when the pendulum swings really widely, you just want to have sort of the middle of the road. You want to, you want to be prepared for both the good and the bad.
1: Right. Well, and the key is to have a plan that you can believe in, right? So yes. If you haven't reviewed that, if you've never done that, we, that is something we do for radio listeners. We build you out a complete comprehensive retirement plan that we can show you here's where you know here's where our expectations are here's where we expect the money to come from and we do that as a complimentary service to radio listeners right we'll give you the basic plan all it does is cost you an hour maybe an hour and a half of your time to sit right. down with us and gather some info so if you'd like to get that done give us a call 503 253 3000 or shoot us an email at askbo at pfgwm.com or pricefg.com. See, either says, one will work. Yeah. Either one works. It gets you know gets caught in my crawl. Or visit our website at www.pricefg.com. We've got a lot of free resources on there, you know, a lot of giveaways that we do for folks. Wanna make sure that you're getting that information out there and, and, and doing those checkups because the biggest key that I found, Matt, you know, in, in my experience is not it, it's not looking at what returns did we get, you know, are we, you know, up or down, whatever, it's, it, it, am I still good to go with my plan, right? Because right. a lot of people set out, you know, and, and you, not to bash any, any thing, but they had their Fidelity 401k and Fidelity, you know, they went online and did the retirement analyzer and it, it, it it's, it's expectation was that you're going to make seven and a half to 8% average returns. But the thing about it is when it looks at those, it looks at those returns as an average and it doesn't take into you know, take into effect the concept of a sequence of returns risk. Right? Yeah. We've talked about that a little bit before, but if you're eight percent average, that's great, but that doesn't mean it's eight percent up every year. And most of those plans say, okay, you're going to get eight percent compounded. Well, goodness me, if I could get eight percent compounded, then you know we we we'd all be super rich. But it just doesn't work that way. The markets go up and markets go down, right? And what a lot of people don't realize. Is as you approach retirement, you have to start paying attention to the sequence of the returns to get you that 8%, you know, that average 8%, because an average 8% average includes down years. And what you don't really think about is when you have a down year, especially if you start in a down year, it, you know, if you start in a down year like 2000, if you start in a down year like 2007, like 1987, if you have these big downswings, which will happen if you started a down year like 2020. Right? Yeah. And you retire right then, then you it takes a lot more. It doesn't just take one to one to recover, right? So if you're starting in an account and if you think about it, if you lose twenty percent, let's just say we have a nice, a nice, but (laughs) you have a market correction, a bear market, right? Down twenty percent, it actually takes twenty five percent to recover from that. So you have to actually earn twenty five. Now let's say you're withdrawing five percent from your account because you're living off that money. You're not down twenty, you're down twenty five. Or let's say we have a another market like we did in two thousand eight, and let's say heaven forbid you're down forty percent, right? Yeah. So your account actually takes sixty seven percent up to return come to come back, right? Yeah. That's huge, and a lot of people don't really think about that. So if you you know when you think about that in real dollars, if you lose forty percent of your account, it takes sixty seven percent to get back to even. That's crazy, right? Yeah,
3: that those are some big returns you got to get to come back. So you know, and and it kind of keeps going. The deeper the hole, the the harder it is to. Dig yourself back out. You
1: well, know? and that's the, what a lot of people are benchmarking themselves against—the S and P 500. Yeah, that's right. True. Which the S and P 500 was down over fifty percent in yeah. 2007, peak to trough. So to get back, you had to earn over a hundred percent. You had to double your money to get you back to, to just even. Back back to even. Exactly. And think about how long that takes. You know, if you're if you are in a reasonable rate of return environment, right? And as we look forward. Although we're bullish, I don't really see huge returns, right? Yeah,
3: but if let's say you were, I don't know, let's say you only were down 30% in the financial mm-hmm. crisis, right? So you know, you took, uh, what would Matt say, two-thirds of the risk or so? Sure. 43% to come back, I mean, versus 100%. That's-, That's Significant know, difference. Sac- significantly less you have to come back up with.
1: Right. So the key is to be prepared for those downswings because they're inevitable, right? And the key is to make sure that you have a plan for those downswings, whether it's adding more money because now we're things are on sale because we kept some cash on the sidelines, kept some dry powder, or whether that's pulling money from a different bucket because you've bucketed it out. The key is to have a plan, and if you haven't had a plan, it behooves you to give us a call, sit down with us, set up a plan. Let's talk about what your retirement plan is, and your retirement plan is going to be different from your neighbors, different from your grandma's, different from the guy you talked to last week at work. right? It's going to be different from everybody else's. It's tailored to you, and if you haven't had a chance to do that, give us a call, 503-253-3000. A member of our team will sit down, we'll give you that plan, we'll tell you what, you th- what we think, and if you want to work with us, that's great, but there is no obligation ever once you meet with our team. So give us a call, 503-253-3000. We're going to take a quick break here because Taylor just walked into the studio. We're super excited to have her back on the show, so we're going to take a break and we'll be back with Cover Your Assets.
0: Leaving an employer can be stressful and overwhelming, but once the dust settles and you're at a new job or perhaps retired, it is important to consider your options for that retirement plan left behind. If this situation applies and you would like to hear more about options available for 401k, 403b, or other retirement account rollovers, please give our office a call at 503-253-3000 to schedule a complimentary consultation with someone on the team to go over your specific and individual situation. We will take the time to get to know you, your goals, and let you know what the best course of action is for you and your family.
1: We do Investing Simplified.
0: You're listening to Investing Simplified. Now, back to Bo Caldwell.
1: Welcome back to Investing Simplified. However you're joining us, thanks for making us A part of your day as promised back in studio finally with Cover Your Assets. Here is Taylor Cattell joining Matt and I here in studio. Hello, Taylor. It's so wonderful to see you. I know people have been, you know, I've gotten a couple of listener complaints that it's just the three of us. us, It's just us. And we got some emails asking (laughs) questions of you. Yeah, we did get we had we do oftentimes, you know, get questions and they're not usually particularly geared towards me. Surprisingly enough, people want well, to hear your answers or Kevin's answers. They'll
3: ask in the emails. Like, could you ask Taylor this? I'm like, well, <laughs> I could probably answer, but I guess I'll f- see if Taylor's good. <laughs>
2: well, it's nice to be loved. Nice yeah. to get questions.
1: Right. Well, so one I had, and I know I sent this over to you and and Kevin. We were talking a little bit about it, uh, you know, off uh, you know off air, I guess. But you know, I think it's good to talk about. It, is we've had some issues come up where we've had um, multiple uh, people come and talk about you know having. Uh, beneficiaries not be properly named on their retirement accounts. And I know mm-hmm. we've talked a bunch about that's a big thing. Number one, you should review all the time, you yep. know, your beneficiary designations. But what actually happens if someone has a retirement account, an IRA or a 401k or a profit sharing account that doesn't have a named beneficiary and they were to pass away?
2: That's a great question. So the the first thing to always remember is that beneficiary designations trump your estate plan. That is one of the most common clarifications that a lot of people have misinformation that they think once they do an estate plan, it just takes away their beneficiary designations and everything is coordinated. It's the opposite. If you have an estate plan, that's only going to govern things that don't pass by operation of law. So I know we've talked about this before, but it's such a common misunderstanding. I just want to hammer home the point Mm -hmm. that beneficiary designations trump your estate plan. Joint ownership trumps your estate plan. If you have anything that's kind of by operation of law or by contract, that trumps your estate plan. So whenever we're looking at, well, what happens, we always have to look at it holistically and say, well, is there a joint owner on this account? Is there a beneficiary on this account? When I say beneficiary, I mean uh, the broader scope. It could be a pay-on-death designation. It could be a transfer-on-death designation. It could say beneficiary. There's different language depending on the financial institution. It all means the same thing. You have a contract that upon your death – this money goes to this person. That's that beneficiary designation that that in any context is, is very, very powerful. Even if you got divorced and the divorce judgment doesn't say I revoke that beneficiary designation and you forget to change it, Mm -hmm. that contract provision controls. So very, very important. I'm not a family law attorney. I don't want to be. But if there is uh, having a properly drafted dissolution agreement, but even better, actually changing your beneficiary designation appropriately is, is absolutely critical. So it's really, really powerful, really important stuff and gets gets messed up all the time. So then we come to, well, what actually happens? And what happens legally? can be very different from what happens mm-hmm. in the real world, right? practically. Right. So what I can talk about is what's supposed to happen. Sure. But the reality is that other things happen all the time. And sometimes that's great, right? Sometimes what the legal process that it would take and the tax consequences of that legal process are not nearly as beneficial as the financial institution seeing where the money is going to go and helping you get to where it kind of should have been anyway. But that's not legally how they're supposed to do it. And so I have myself seen situations where a financial institution, uh, we were making the argument for how it who it needed to get to, and the financial institution ultimately – did distribute the funds there. And when my client called me and told me that, I went, really?
3: <laughs> do that? I don't know
2: how they did that. I, that doesn't make any legal for sense you, but to me. Shouldn't have happened. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so do we Whoops. go and poke around and poke the bear and say, right. well, you probably shouldn't have done that and go alert compliance to that. You know, I, I have a duty to tell my clients that's, I, you know, you're, you know that you have this vulnerability, mm-hmm. know that from a tax standpoint, you really need to make sure your accountant understands how this went. Don't go spend all the money in case you're going to have some tax consequences from this. But at least now you're in tax land and you're in control of the money right. instead of it being held up by this financial institution, you know, in this indefinite never never land without a clear owner. Or a deceased owner, but not even in the estate, it just gets really complicated. So, so know that there are sometimes some financial institutions that are more willing to work with you than others on how do we get the result that probably should have been done. But when when your beneficiary designation is not updated, or it's not accurate, or it's missing altogether, and there isn't one, mm-hmm. um, then then there's there are legal processes depending on what your situation is um that can resolve that but you typically don't have as good of tax consequences so if you have the the big picture legal default i would say is that if there is no beneficiary named that is an asset of the estate okay so if somebody had a revocable trust you still have to go through probate Wow, legally speaking, right. because you have to have somebody who has the authority to claim that asset. It's not an asset of the trust because there's no. It has to go through probate to get to the trust. To the trust, yeah. So you have to open again. This is the legal side. You have to open a probate estate. If well, what if the estate, as I've seen, has already closed? Yeah. Yep. And you found it two years later, maybe it's been seven years since the person died, right? And you've yeah. already gone through everything, and then all of a sudden you get some 1099 out of somewhere right, or something, right. and you're don't like, "Wait, whoa, whoa 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 whoa, Wait at this. I don't even have this uh, asset, and all of a sudden you find out it's in deceased person's name. There are legal, um, there's a legal process for reopening the probate. OK. So again, the right legal process would be to reopen the estate, reappoint the personal representative. Oh take custody of those assets and then get a court order to distribute those assets it's faster than a a traditional you know a standard probate because you've already notified creditors all those are barred but you're still talking about you know attorney's fees and petition you know filing fees and and a process there so it's not something that you want to do but it is an option that's available um, it's also possible that you could, again, as the, the extra legal right, process, right, right. you could say, here are all the documents from when I was a personal representative. And again, they shouldn't give you those assets, but it might be enough to, to bypass the right legal process. So I'm not advising that, right? I'm not putting that on raising anybody, but, um, but I do see how sometimes these, it's up to the institution to release the funds right and the the other than taxing authorities which we'll talk about next the other people with claims out there are going to the people whose whose economic interests are affected right and so if you're ultimately getting it to the people who would get it anyway through the probate process and or and or everybody's in agreement on how this is all supposed to work you have less potential liability out there right
1: that okay. makes yeah, sense that makes sense so, so in that situation you know, hypothetically, let's say I, you know, I passed away. I didn't, I didn't put a beneficiary on my old profit sharing, you know, account mm-hmm. that I had. It's been sitting there for seven years because I died seven years ago, and mm-hmm. now the states all been closed. So the steps would hypothetically be: you got to go open a new probate. You got to go get an attorney. Go yep. open a probate case. I'm hearing ching 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 as I'm saying these things, right? Yeah. You, gotta, you know, so it, it, all these things, it, it. it I just don't know how to say it more than we've said it. it you know, make sure your beneficiaries line up. An yeah. ounce <laughs> of prevention,
2: right? An ounce of prevention is absolutely a pound of cure. worth a pound of cure. And I would, um, I would say it's not in the, it's more than hundreds, less than 10 thousands, right? So we're probably talking a couple thousand bucks uh, is the cost versus the, the time now, to call your advisor or to do your due diligence with whatever customer service line, it may be painful. I'm, I'm right with, yeah, the phone trees. That's nice thing about having a financial advisor is you can get that information sooner and more quickly. You should be able to just pick up the phone and say, hey, do I have a beneficiary on that right. account? Yeah, who is is it? that updated? Who yeah. is it? How do I change it? And they should be able to tee that up for you. Um, but for clients who are hesitant, that's usually because they're doing the self-investing thing and they have to go on a 1-800 number and whatever else. It's still worth your time. Yeah, it's yeah. still worth doing it, however it takes.
3: And uh, the does the the amount of the asset that you're sort of uncovered doesn't really matter, right? I mean, it all has to pretty much ref- reflow through the estate. So if you're talking about like a ten thousand dollar account you just found, you might have some additional costs regardless of the amount you found.
2: Correct, and yeah. and that can be a real doozy sometimes because right. um, they may not tell you how much it is because you don't have authority. Oh,
3: that's true. I mean, if uns- you find like a million dollar account and you have to reopen it, it's like okay, well. It's a little bit better. <laughs> but if you get notice of a but life insurance policy,
2: yeah. and this is when I, I was a personal representative, mm-hmm. I had closed the estate, and it was three years later I got notice of a life insurance policy that hadn't been paid, and I sent out a letter saying, basically, I'm not doing I'm not lifting a finger until you tell me how much it is here's all my authority, here's everything else that I had, but the estate is closed and I'm not going to reopen it until you tell me how much it's worth. And a lot of times they will not even tell you that, but I just wanted, again, to do that due diligence try, piece. Yeah. It came back at less than $500. Oh, okay. The filing fee alone is going to be like five five fifty. So no. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. You go ahead and put that into unclaimed property. So I was going
1: to say so that is that what happens? It then goes to unclaimed property, it gets a sheeted to the state generally speaking, if Uh, they can't
2: find and if their paperwork doesn't automatically distribute it to any other heirs. So they so whenever you do a life insurance policy or whenever you sign up for a retirement account, there's there's usually that boilerplate that really hard to read. Nobody reads it. Mm -hmm. I don't read it. I probably (laughs) should but I but but there will be some default provisions in there that say what they have to do and what they don't have to do and, and who would take it and that's what can change so sometimes those those contracts will say that if there is no named beneficiary it goes to your nearest kin right well how are they going to define that if that's if that could be defined differently in different states depending right. on our adopted kids counted and uh, what if they're you know there's there there's just some some nuances there but generally speaking it's gonna fall the same way right and kids um, so it comes back to well what if you're single Right. Right. Well, then is it your parents? What if your parents have died? Or mm-hmm. how much work is this um, company going to go to find your heirs? And all of that then, you know, they usually say at some point it goes to the estate so right. that somebody else has to come to claim it. And again, if, if nobody does, then that it's on them to mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. through whatever process they have to close unclaimed accounts. Um, side note, Oregon and Washington, I just, um, saw an article about this, are, uh, really attempting to return the unclaimed property. I don't know if you've heard this, but I have. Oh, really? Well, you can look it up on online and you can actually put in your name and you can yeah. see any unclaimed property items out I've there. I've done
3: several of those forms as a notary. So, so you just go online and you, you plug in your name and it'll give you a form and you fill it out and you got to get it notarized and then you submit it. Usually they're pretty small claims, but you know, sometimes you got to bigger one it doesn't give you the exact it'll say like less than a hundred dollars or it'll say Mm -hmm. you know less than 500 it'll give you an estimation and then Mm -hmm. um, you just have to get in front of a notary with a form yeah to claim it yeah
2: and now i guess oregon is actually trying to reach out to people based on Their contact information with their um, income tax filings, which is why Washington is that's having a, a, a hard time because they don't have their right. own separate income tax, so they don't have right. updated information. And I guess the the driver's licenses is not turning out to be accurate. Sure. Um, so it it was just interesting. I, I think the states no, are trying to beef up not holding on to this much property, but that's and that's just another thing on the checklist if you are administering a state is to do that search while the estate is still open or while you're still enacting fiduciary a trustee or a personal representative to try to avoid having those things come back and haunt you later um but prevention number one
3: right and i like what you added about this uh, prior spouses i think that comes up way uh, way more than you, yeah. you think you know if if you have uh, gone through a separation or a divorce and and then you have an old spouse on there that shouldn't be on there you know as you said by law, it'll go to that person unless yep. otherwise, you know, it's removed. And you know, if you work uh, with a financial institution, they'll go with what's on paper. You exactly. know, it, it basically,
2: that's what's safe. Yeah, yeah. For the financial institution is whatever's on paper. So do it do what's on paper with what you want and you'll be you'll be in a much better place
3: that doesn't always mean because we've run into uh clients before that prefer to have their exes on there for some reason or another so if that's the agreement you have that's great you know sometimes there may be little kids involved or younger children and so they know they just you know aren't married but that doesn't mean they don't you know want to take care of each other and so then they can maybe have the ex-spouse on there still but it's just important to check Um, Mm -hmm. which actually was another question that came up this week was what happens if somebody names minor children on mm-hmm. as beneficiaries, and we can talk about this uh, now or after the break? If 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 you yeah, actually. I
1: think it's probably a good time to to take a quick break and then yeah. we talk about minor children and whether or not to leave you know minor children because I think it's important to think not just about your retirement accounts but about like you mentioned Everything life insurance, else, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's a big thing that a lot of times if you're a single parent or mm-hmm. a, a divorced parent and you don't want to name your ex-spouse. So there's
2: lots of reasons not to, unless, unless you are obligated by that judgment, which is the most common, but, but
1: yeah. Right. Right. But that, you know, that's a, that's, I guess probably a discussion for another day, you know, divorce, you know, repercussions of, you know, divorce attorney stuff. But, uh, Uh, you know we'll we'll be right back we're going to take a little break here and we'll be right back talk some more beneficiary you know super exciting you know <laughs> all the mind, things that could go wrong mind blowing stuff but if you have a, if you have a question about your investments you want to have somebody help review those beneficiary designations you can give our office a call 503-253-3000 if you haven't updated your estate plan if you haven't reviewed where things should be left and what's the best route you can give Taylor's office a call yeah 503-878-8948 Perfect. And you can also send us an email: askbo at pfgwm. or Taylor at kglawgroup.com. Right? Did I get that You've right? Got it. Woohoo! Yeah, it's been, it first <laughs> look time at you. Everything. I know. I know. Good I'm, job, Bo. A, a Next time like, you'll
2: get my phone number. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to
1: write them down. I used to do that, with Kevin, all the time. And I'd be like, "What's your phone number again?"
0: Ugh, the worst. All right. We'll be right back with more Investing Simplified. When planning for income and retirement, there's a lot to consider between managing the budget that fits the family, trying to figure out from where to draw your income, or balancing the tax ramifications of withdrawals, moving into retirement can be overwhelming. At Price Financial Group, we help clients work to create a sustainable retirement roadmap, addressing these concerns and more, and helping folks feel confident in their future retirement income, right when they need it most. If you'd like a financial plan tailored just for you, please don't hesitate and call our office today at 503 253 3000 or text review to 484848 to set up your complimentary consultation. Price Financial Group offers investment advisory services through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisory firm.
1: We do investing simplified.
0: You're listening to Investing Simplified. Now, back to Bo Caldwell. And welcome back to Investing Simplified. If you're just now tuning in, we've been covering our assets with Taylor
1: Cattell back in studio with Matt Sudol and myself, Bo Caldwell, CEO of Price Financial Group. If you have a question that's been keeping you up at night, something that Taylor can answer, as we talked about a little bit earlier in the show, I know most people want to hear her talk rather than us, or something for Kevin, give us a shout at AskBo, A S K b o at p f g w m dot com. So you know we were talking you know before the break about but beneficiaries and what to do if you don't have a beneficiary named. Make sure you name one. Yeah. But what if in the situation where you're thinking, okay, I want to name my kids, my minor children, as beneficiary because maybe I'm divorced or mm-hmm. a widower. Uh, you know, if or you've been it's widowed. Or a you know, Yeah. Or yeah, even naming mm-hmm. the kids as a contingent. That's huge. That's a really good point because mm-hmm. maybe my wife is my. Uh, primary beneficiary and now I've named my kids as contingent and I know that there's, there can be pitfalls with that, Mm -hmm. right? So what generally speaking, right? How do, how do people navigate that? How do you decide where to name and who to name?
2: It's really a frustrating piece because I want to shout from the rooftops and, and just educate every customer service representative out there about testamentary trust. What are testamentary trusts? Why do they exist, and when? And, and how do they work? Um, testamentary trusts are trusts that are established after somebody dies. So, a testamentary trust can be established after somebody dies through a will. The will can say, mm-hmm. "Upon my death, I establish a trust for my kids." That's a testamentary trust. Uh, testamentary trust can also be established within a revocable trust. So your revocable trust says, this is my money, it's still my money, but upon my death, I give everything to my spouse, or if he or she predeceases me, I give it to my kids in trust. That trust has different terms than the revocable living trust because we, um, as a revocable living trust, want to control it, want to pull it out. But as an irrevocable testamentary trust, it's really important that that's a distinguished separate piece. So the ideal legal beneficiary designation would be to the testamentary trust directly. That would allow the, depending on how the the terms of the trust are are drafted, but hopefully that would allow the the testamentary trust to be treated as a pass-through entity to the kids. To the kids, okay. But that's where it gets complex. So the the difference for me when I just boil it down into a little bit more plain English is, is this asset going to be subject to income tax?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So if it's a Roth retirement account, okay. right? If it's cash and a life insurance proceeds, okay. Um, if it's an investment account that you have in an individually or a joint investment account where you want to put a, a pay on death or a transfer on death, um, if it goes through your estate plan, so that's your revocable trust or through the probate process through your will mm-hmm. and your trust or your will establish this trust for your kids, then it's going to get to the right end result. And it's not subject to income tax. So there's not going to be some other funky uh, disruption there, no, I see. Okay. a negative consequence. It's cash. And it's just making sure the same as any other bank account or anything else. If it's, If you've already paid the income tax or it's not subject to income tax, um, then it's going to flow through and follow as part of your estate. The difference, and maybe this is a little bit too nuanced, but the difference between having, let's say, a life insurance policy, let's just say you have a a half a million dollar life insurance policy, Mm -hmm. and that pays out to your estate instead of to the trust for your kids. The key difference there is that if you are subject to claims creditor claims in the estate process, that money is now available to pay them. Oh, I see. Versus if it went to the... If it bypasses your estate, it's not technically an estate asset, and it's more protected.
3: That makes sense. Okay.
2: Now, some people may say, but I want that money to pay other debts, like estate tax liability, right? It it could be that life insurance isn't intentionally there to take care of creditors. I want to pay off the mortgage on my house. So that my kid can live there, you know, and, and the guardian can move in and whatever, whatever scheme makes sense. Sure. Um, so, so that can be an intentional piece or it could be a, a whoops. And so you don't hmm. want it to be a whoops. You want to choose this is what the beneficiary, this is, this is where we want it to go. But the whole equation shifts when it's tax, income tax deferred. So when it, when you have a 401k, when you have a traditional retirement account, when you have a SEP IRA, when you have something else where you have deferred income tax, mm-hmm. that's where it gets really tough. Because if you name an estate, or if you don't have a beneficiary, going back to the earlier conversation, and it right. goes to your estate, tax-wise, it should be taxed at the estate level. Okay. Okay. So that means that it, it typically the, the the strict rule would be that it has to be paid out within five years. Yeah. But the difference between right now and five years is usually so minor because that it's just dragging out the probate process. You usually just take the tax it, cash it out and, and pay it that year. And then at least you have net value to pass on. Mm-hmm. Uh I know working with a qualified CPA under some circumstances you can try to distribute that out so that the the income that is taxed at the individual level instead of at the estate level. Oh, I see. But that's still, we're talking pretty complicated stuff already, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking Mm -hmm. pretty like in the weeds where you definitely need an attorney involved and you definitely need a a CPA CPA involved. And you want to make sure that those two are talking to each other and generally saying the same thing or or an agreement about the process and the way to get there. But all of that, you're also banking on nothing else going awry. Like maybe you can't close the estate and distribute the assets because there are other debts out there maybe this is all happening in November and the end of the year is going to be rolling around and you're going to have to pay taxes based on a calendar year. Right, right? there. Are, so there are things outside of your control where you don't want to just assume that we're going to be able to pass out any of this to the beneficiaries. You want to assume the worst plan for the worst and, and, and address that Sure. if you're in that planning process. And, and the best way to do that is to make sure your beneficiaries match your intention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when I'm talking about when you would want it to be a testamentary trust, that, adds this whole layer of complication, right? Because you're naming the trustee of the trust established for the benefit of this child under my will dated, blah blah blah, right? That's not one of the boxes that they give you
3: mm-hmm. to
2: check on the form. And so a lot of people, I would I would venture to say the vast majority of people, like maybe ninety percent of people probably don't, mm-hmm. even when they do their plans with me and I've hammered this home. Get so frustrated and so confused, and then the question, you know, customer service person is telling them, "Well, that's not how you you need an EIN to name the to name the. Well, there is no EIN because there's no tax ID number because the trust it doesn't exist. Yeah, but it will. It will have one when when that paperwork needs to be filled out to distribute it out. It will, Mm -hmm. but that's not that's not comfortable. For right. The customer service exactly. On the phone.
1: Yeah. Well, and you've ca- have come Without across training. that you know similarly where you deal with you know insurance companies particular yeah. are tough, right? Or even financial services providers that don't understand yeah. Yeah. when they say because it's not a box, like you said that the the, yeah. w- the wording. That's- that you know, I th- I, you know, I, that we've used in that case when it's a te- testamentary trust, you know, established U slash yeah. W, right? Because that yeah. has, to, has, yeah. to fit, right. has to fit in the you know the yep. amount of characters they right. have. But then it, it gets you know n- what's called NIGOT or not in good order, right? They send uh-huh. it back and say, "Well, you can't do this," but you know, yeah. but you it's can. Taylor yeah. said we could. <laughs> Taylor so. said ta- Taylor said I could. Therefore, yeah. so if somebody then, go.
3: if I'm thinking about this right, so if the will sets up the testamentary trust, would you just then maybe leave it? Blank is better than minor children because then it'll go to the estate and then the estate will push it off to so, the testamentary trust. So
2: you have to weigh a couple of options yeah. when it's a tax-deferred account. Mm-hmm. When it's, And it also depends on the value of that account. So let's say you have a SEP IRA that you've just kept where it is, but it's only $10,000 and it is what it is, right? If that's not going to make or break between the tax liability, it may not be worth. It, it may be better just to have it go to your estate just because of the, the headache and the hassle. But if sure. you have a half a million dollar you know, a, asset, then that's, that's a different equation because the tax liability is higher. But also, the risk of your kids having that, that money potentially outright yeah. is higher. So, so here's the, I said in the last segment, your beneficiary designations trump your estate plan, yeah. okay? Mm-hmm. So the only thing not to do, absolutely not to do, is actually name your kids.
3: Okay. Okay.
2: Because then it's not going through your estate to their trust. Right. It's going to them individually. And it's, and, and I'm, uh, let me, let me put a little asterisk here. I'm talking about minor kids. Right. Mm -hmm. right, Okay. I'm talking about kids who are too young to manage their own or disabled kids Mm -hmm. or, or, or disabled anybody's, um, or anyone who you do not want to receive that asset at age 18. So even if it's a 19 year old or a 25 year old, they're not a minor child, but you don't. Maybe they have an alcohol problem or a drug abuse issue, right, or they're right. or they're receiving public benefits, or you just don't want them to have that money. You don't think they're responsible, and you'd rather mm-hmm. take a tax it, or or have somebody else manage it. Depending again on what it is, now you're in in a little bit more of a conundrum. Sure. Uh, so, but let's assume that you're saying I don't want this child to have it outright. I want it to be controlled by that trust. If you name the child outright, it is going to that child. Right. So then you're now in a conservatorship situation where every dollar that goes in, every dollar that goes out is all subject to the court approval with accountings and fees and filing stuff. And it's it's expensive and it's stressful. And it and it's also ties up the money mm-hmm. in a way that is not actually available for the use of the child. Yeah. Uh, and that's the court's public policy of parents or other guardians who often end up being conservators think that it, that's like free money and there's been so much abuse of it mm-hmm. that they're very very tight and basically unless you can prove that the kid's really need that money they have social security they have other things so no you can't use it for summer camp mm-hmm. no you can't use it for braces that's those aren't those aren't necessarily valid expenses that is for the child don't waste their money that's theirs at age 18 which is really contrary to just about everything I hear from my clients. I want the guardian to be able to have money. I want the guardian to be able to put them yeah. in private school. I want the, you know, I, I'm picking these people for a reason right. and I want them to have the flexibility to use the, my money for my kids. So it's a, that that's my only kind of big don't do is don't name the minor child directly. Either have it go through your estate so that maybe it takes a tax hit, but Better that, if that's your choice, better that than having it, you know, subject to the, the court supervision. Um, or you could try to get it directly to that testamentary trust, testamentary which is perfect, trust. because then you can try to have it taxable as if it's naming the child, right? And have it be what's called a, th- a see-through trust. Um, but that mm. gets into the boilerplate and why boilerplate matters. Right. So do do work if you do this stuff. Do work with an attorney who actually does estate planning because it's not just about saying I have a trust for my kids. Right. You can go through all that hassle, and if your boilerplate isn't there to allow this type of tax defer or pass-through tax election, and uh, and then you don't have a good CPA who can actually do that, then you haven't accomplished that goal.
1: Right. Well, yeah. That's. I think that's a big a big point to just hammer home and I know it it always seems like we're you know driving people to you know, we're not trying to scare anybody but in terms of hey boilerplate language you know that the terminology that I've heard used ink is cheap right
2: mm-hmm.
1: litigation court costs are expensive yeah right so like if you have to spend a little extra time to put a little Couple extra drops of ink, yeah, maybe you gotta go see an attorney rather than just using mm-hmm. Rocket Lawyer or Legal Zoom, right? Mm-hmm. Go see someone who not just and what I heard you say, which really speaks to me, in, you know, with my experience and for those who don't know, full disclosure, Taylor is my estate attorney, right? So like, I, you know, we're we're I, I'm eating where I'm recommending, yeah. right? <laughs> for lack of a better that's a gross phrase, for lack of a better phrase, I, you know. I, I but you know the the idea that you work with. An attorney who is not just it mm-hmm. doesn't just do estate planning, but specifically mm. has worked with if you're if in the case where you have special children with special needs or adult children with special right. needs, or you're leaving it to someone with that they do this is what they have worked with, right? You have an experience with special needs and special needs trusts, right? And how the different ins and outs that you work with an attorney who knows mm-hmm. about. Because you know we've talked about it before, right there, a lot of people go through law school and pass you know pass the bar exam. doesn't right. mean that they have that experience and have really worked on making sure that your your needs and your wishes are followed right because right you're not there anymore. you can't be there looking out for it. you want to make sure that your kids or your special needs beneficiaries get the best. Yeah. And that's
2: one of the that's hardest hard. things about estate planning is that you you can't fix it once you realize it's something's wrong. Sure. Right. That's that's when you when you realize that that something could have been done better. Mm-hmm. And I'm young, and I care about my career. And so when some of my clients say, "Gosh, it seems like you're making this kind of complicated." You know, I, I think you might be like overthinking it. I'm going. Your kids aren't going to say that, <laughs> right? You yeah. know that that's not what they're. I'm imagining them sitting across the table from me and asking why I didn't talk to you about this.
3: Yeah, and that's the
2: where I ha- I have to go from as a practitioner. But if if you haven't done the probate or trust administration side of it, and you haven't had those difficult conversations about why the attorney didn't put this in the boilerplate, and now you can't make this tax election, you're going to have to pay what? You know, those those are the the tough things. And if you are just taking a form and it's really not that different, in my opinion, from Rocket Lawyer, if you have a lawyer who has a law degree but doesn't actually practice in these areas. So,
3: yeah. And it's someone or, you know, it just just gets generated and then, you know, probably speak with that particular person. And to them, you're just, you know, I mean, they got your name and everything and they created, but they don't really get the time to really get to know what exactly you're trying to do. And then, as you said, a lot of them will maybe on the front end of the call it interaction where they just yeah. set up the estate plan, but they don't ever administer it. So they right. don't really know how it how it unwinds in the future where you've been on both sides. So you see it. And so you're like, well, I've been on the other side. And if we don't do what I you know, right. planned, this is the outcome that we have to deal with. And I've got prior experiences. So I think that speaks volumes.
2: Yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be me. Right. I mean, I'm happy no. to know. But, right. but there's a lot of there are a lot of really good practitioners um, in in the Portland, Vancouver areas that um, and, and, and all over who, who do do this. But I think it's easy for it's as easy for attorneys to just put wills as a as a practice area, right. even though they primarily do criminal defense. Or they primarily oh. do Dewey's or whatever it is. It's easy for that to throw them up there, and then they just have a will or family law, um, and then they don't actually have the experience to to support that's that. That's
3: true. And I've heard you say this too before, Taylor. Where you, uh, I'll ask you a question. Like, well, that gets to this this type of law, and that's not my expertise. So I'll tell you what I think, but yep. I would I'm gonna stick with what I know, and this what I deal with. And so you've said that to me before. Yeah. And then I'll just go and you know, <laughs> well, I'll like
2: find that, somebody who can answer. Yes, that, exactly. Right, yeah. it's not me. <laughs> yeah. Or you just
3: put it put. The little asterisk, and they're like, Hey, Matt, this is what I think, but you know, yeah. I'm not an expert in this, and that's okay. You know, yeah. that's kind of like where it goes when it comes to financial advice. We right. know what we do know. Um, there's areas where we have to look things up or, you know,
1: re- reach out to departments I don't look things up. <laughs> yeah, you do. You just go to my office and say, hey, Matt, what, do you, what was this? You know, or,
3: or email one of our team members. I plead I, I, I the fifth. I can neither confirm <laughs> yeah. nor, nor deny that. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: that goes back to when you're working with, you know, to be working with a team. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, so if you're working with a financial advisor, if you're working with a state attorney, which you should be, I would say, working with both of those. But you want to make sure that they coordinate with uh-huh. your other practitioners, and it doesn't have to be, you know, somebody that you know is on a radio show together. Does, if you work with me, doesn't mean you have to work with Taylor and Kevin. Yeah. You work with Taylor doesn't mean you have to work with me and and, right. and Kevin, right? But you want to work with a practitioner, whether that's mm. in the law or in the accounting field or in the financial services, that is willing and able to work with your other professionals, right? Exactly. Because you want to you want to make sure everything's coordinated. That's another that's big thing.
2: Exactly right. Mm.
1: That I heard in there. So I know you got to get out of here. So we're going we're gonna to take a break there. But before we do, tell everybody again, because I did not write down your phone number. So <laughs> how, what, <laughs> how do people no, get a hold of nice you if they have questions about estate planning? They want to make sure that they're not just plating it up. How do they get a yep. hold of you?
2: Yep. Taylor Cattell with KG Law Group. And you can call us at 503-878-8948 or email me at taylor, that's T-A-Y-L-O-R, at kglawgroup.com.
1: Perfect. And if you have a question for Matt or myself, or you'd like to sit down and have a review of your beneficiary situation, we will be happy to dial that 800 number with you and make sure we you know get you through those hoops with customer service. Give us a call 503-253-3000 or visit us on the web at pfgwm.com. We're going to be back with a little more investing simplified right after these fine words.
2: Legal matters are never easy, but they are especially difficult when they involve the most important people and aspects of your life. This is Taylor Cattell founding partner of KG Law Group. It's important to have an attorney who cares about your unique circumstances and knows how to get the outcome that is best for you. At KG Law Group, we specialize in estate planning and family law, including wills, trusts, powers of attorney, guardianship, and divorce. At KG Law Group, we provide both expertise and compassion as we guide you through the complex legal landscape. We balance knowledge of the law with exemplary client service. Whether you're reacting to a crisis or planning for the future, we are here to help. If you need legal advice, give us a call today and schedule a consultation at 503-878-8948. That's 878-8948 or visit us online at kglawgroup.com. That's kglawgroup.com serving Oregon and Southwest Washington. KG Law Group, your family, your legacy.
0: You're listening to investing simplified now back to Bo Caldwell. Welcome back to investing simplified. If you're just now joining us, you missed great
1: segments, great conversations with Taylor Cattell of KG logger. But as a reminder, you can replay yeah, the have show here. It's available online, <laughs> right? It is available online uh, via podcast or on our website at pfgwm.com. Man, I, I, it's not as exciting, but it has been something that people have sent in questions about a lot. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, people have asked about 1099s. I wanted to go back to it a little bit. We talked about income and income that you might have missed. But one thing that people don't consider with the 1099 situation is IRA rollovers, right? Mm -hmm. And so people don't think about when you've done a rollover either from a 401k or a 403b or you do a rollover IRA to IRA, the generation of a 1099 and when it will generate and when it won't and what to do if it does. Definitely don't panic if you did the rollover correctly the form should have you know both
3: boxes there's a couple boxes checked off showing that it's a distribution but also a qualified rollover and then you will do have to put in some of that information if you're you know filing your taxes like with a software or your accountant would but it nets to nothing really Right. it, it still has to be recorded
1: Right. Well, interestingly enough, sometimes this happens, and we've had this happen to a couple of clients actually, right, where you request the rollover, you have it go direct, you're trying to do a direct rollover or a direct transfer, right? So what happens if you, so first let's start there with rollover versus transfer, right? So a rollover is when you're moving money from one kind of plan to another kind of plan, right? right? Whether it's an IRA to an IRA or you're doing an IRA or a 401k to an IRA or vice versa. And a rollover occurs when the money doesn't transfer electronically. There's a check Mm-hmm. D- there's a check issued, right? So and you might be handling that check, right? So the check that that's a step in the next. That's the next step, right? If that check is made directly, so let's say we use TD Ameritrade. So let's say you got your rollover from your 401k direct to TD Ameritrade, meaning the check will be made out to TD Ameritrade for the benefit of you, right? So we right. say for the benefit of Matt Sudol, account number this. That is a direct transfer, right? A direct rollover, rather. So that's not a taxable event right cuz yeah. the money never hit you never you never got to handle the check you never took custody of it you never got it in your hands thank you so much for tuning in this week we really appreciate you if you have questions you'd like something to be covered on a future show please send that question to askbo askbo at pfg wm.com. We'd be happy to answer that. We're happy to cover it. As we said, we're working on getting other trusted professionals in to answer those questions. I'm hopeful Steve Anderson, the property tax guy, will be yep. back on soon. Yep, and I'm working on somebody to come talk about real estate in the commercial space, so
3: we should have him uh, hopefully next few weeks. And then one other ad is uh, on our website. If anybody's uh, interested, under uh, our website we have some new guides that were posted about you know, tips on filing your taxes and things to avoid. Uh, so if you go to our website, as those at PFG wm.com that you should be able to get through the guides and download some 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 interesting articles and and, and posts um try to keep that stuff updated so some you know, lots of people uh given us some good feedback that it's good information so,
1: yeah. yeah perfect so i think that's a good place to end it thank you yeah. so much for listening thanks for tuning in you guys have a great rest of your weekend and don't miss next week on investing simplified
0: The opinions voiced in Investing Simplified with Bo Caldwell are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investors cannot invest directly in indexes. The performance of any index is not indicative of the performance of any investment and does not take into account the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. Guests on Investing Simplified are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. We do
1: Investing Simplified.